I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to the Wednesday Night War Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. We review uh, the Wednesday Night War. And if you want to know our thoughts on the anniversary special of AEW Dynamite, that podcast is available right now. We also review Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a Beligo quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, they're joined by Hamphlet and Sidgwick to review NXT, an eventful show, Michael Hamphlet, surprisingly. Surprisingly is right. Uh, I found this surprisingly watchable. We didn't have a lot to preview yesterday because they played the usual bastard's trick of dropping half the card on Twitter about an hour before showtime. Um, I thought the roster showed itself. I What I liked about this NXT was that I like just seeing a sense of direction from this brand. At the moment, probably more than ever, actually, in the show's history, there are people on the show that I don't want to see pushed for a myriad of reasons, which we'll get into on this review. Quite a few of them, actually. So they wouldn't be my choice for all of the people that have programs or have direction. But I greatly appreciate direction. Um, And whether it's because they've got Halloween Havoc and they've actually had it and they've actually thought about it and I just like to see the forethought or what... um, I'm still not creatively investing as much as I would like from an NXT, but I don't know. I'm starting to trust the mechanisms again. I'm, I'm genuinely like, I enjoyed this enough to think, oh, well, I want to watch next week. I'm keen to see where that story goes, even if several of the wrestlers still are not the people I would personally choose to go with. Um, Some of the in-ring was good. I can see where they're going. And I guess what's important for NXT fans is that there is clear destinations that feel nowhere near like I'll put Kushida in the bin <laughs> and then they'll have a match the next like they're doing some like well thought out things I think they're still circling back on certain dynamics like Priest and Grimes Jesus Christ do I never want to see that again um, and we're back um, yeah a lot of this left me cold as it often does if I'm being perfectly honest um, but it feels like they are giving some of the angles quite a bit of thought even if I think they've literally got no chance of being um, any really good. The Zyalee stuff has been going on for a fair amount of time, as an example. Like, they are drip-feeding beats beats that inform the next, inform the next. Like, they're, they're, there's a little bit of prowess at last in terms of what they're actually setting out to accomplish, even if, subjectively, it leaves me utterly dry. Funny enough, Sidgwick was right the other day. Um, flippant as a comment as it may have been. No, no, it, there was, there's no war anymore. No, like there's, there's no war that might actually be to the benefit of NXT mm. because what we are seeing is more of a thought on direction rather than trying to win a war. Like, this is obviously just this week, it's WWE still under that umbrella, things can change in the click of a finger. But for the last few weeks of NXT, even if not all the episodes have been good, they don't feel like they're playing to how they did when this all started as if they know that they're already beaten. That, that might be to the, to the benefit of the brand eventually. 
I was going to say the, the cliche, don't chase the competition, chase the dream, but that feels inappropriate. Uh, right, let's show, talk about the opening of the show. It opened with Undisputed Era coming out um, and Kyle O'Reilly cutting the promo with a, uh, a severe absence of Adam Cole. I did like that little touch there. He's the leader of the pack when Adam Cole's not there. Uh, and then it was the match between uh, Roddy Strong, Bobby Fish, Danny Burch and Only Lorcan to see who was going to be the number one tag team contenders. Uh, before we talk about this match, have your reaction to that news that broke today about WWE, uh, specifically with NXT, for example, just reusing old footage of the crowd from Thunderdomes rather, I mean, than, rather than actual people watching. So the thing is, like, I don't terribly care because mm. like, I'm, I'm assuming they've not like thrown open the, the doors of the CWC or they've just not had the interest for people to want to do it, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's what the, the only thing I thought when I saw that news was of that South Park episode where Kyle ends up in the middle of a human Sentai pad and it was like, oh God, none of us ever read the small print and now you could want to be on SmackDown once and find yourself being used on NXT for the next five years. If and you can also eat a lot of crap. <laughs> yeah, very good. If this continues on, I'm just like, oh God, we should really read the terms and conditions and nobody ever does. Um, aye, fine, don't care. A great deal. Um, I, I, it's, it, it gets, gets like, some people from Twitter numbers, doesn't it? Because you might appear twice on different shows or something. I don't know. Like, I thought, I you know. know what? This would be a good opportunity to dunk on it. I didn't really want to take it. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? You, can't, you can't tell if they're live anyway. You're not adding anything to the atmosphere. In the very best moments in this incorporates a Thunderdome, you get this because it's so dissonant the the hum and the faces and the the incredibly artificial pops at times. NXT, NXT, no one's saying that. <laughs> in the rare moments, this backdrop of faces exists to make it feel it's an escape. It's a bad one, but it's like oh, everything's normal again. It just looks really weird. In those perfect moments where the matches hit. And the noise level's authentic from the few real people who are there. It just creates the illusion of atmosphere. Who cares if it's the same person? I'll never, ever notice myself in a million years. I um, I, I kind of, I'm not that interested now. And this kind of spreads to AW and New Japan as well. They're all trying slightly different versions of the same thing, which is to put a wrestling show on in circumstances that theoretically don't suit a wrestling show. There are pros and cons to all of them. And you kind of like... I don't want to like shower any of them in praise, but nor do I want to hit them with a load of criticisms either. You know, AW New Japan do way better than NXT in this regard. I would say so, but then I would say the inclusion of live crowds on Dynamite is worse than when they're taped. I think the atmosphere is better taped. So, I, like, for the first time this week, particularly during Orange Cassidy and Cody, it's always Cody <laughs> during Brody Lee as well. I've actually felt the noise that bit more. So, um, but that's by the by. It's always Cody. Kyle O'Reilly's promo was excellent though. Yes, yeah. good. Um, really, really strong. Like how he managed to remain babyface when they were clearly trying to give you whether it's a red herring or not. The first tells that he was the guy that paid Ridge Holland to do it. This was the point I was making last week. Absolutely devastating. So terribly upset for Ridge Holland and what's happened. But the bit he was needed for the story has been done. So it hasn't, in a way, like other than the match that we would have inevitably got with Adam Cole, it hasn't, unlike the other injuries in NXT, kiboshed what was on the table, which was for us to think about who is the Triple H to Rich Holland's Rikishi. Um, and Kyle O'Reilly here was so brilliant at remaining the baby face he became just before TakeOver and yet allowing you for the first time to think, was it you, you dick? Was it you? Like, really love that. Just just replay uh, Cole versus Pat McAfee and just go, Rich Holland, when they when said... <laughs> Because that's the match you want to see, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, right, let's move on to the match itself. The number one contenders match. What do you think, uh, Undisputed Era, going over Birch and Lorcan, Breezango watching on Michael Hamlet? Good. Um, not great, not exciting, not fantastic. Um, mm. but, but good. Like The work was good. Didn't outstay its welcome. I love... Um, like Bobby Fish is probably the guy that like I don't tend to talk about much because I think he's the least exciting in the Undisputed Era, generally speaking. Uh, it's rare that he sticks out in a match when he's in his tag matches, but that's because he teams with Roderick Strong and Kyle O'Reilly. That's not all his fault. And I thought he was excellent in this. He looked... You know, the problem with Birch and Lorcan is that they never get to win. So we're long past the point now where you see them as underdogs that one day are going to get their day. You kind of start seeing them as jobbers. And I liked watching Bobby Fish treat them a little bit as such. Hmm. There was a, It reminded me a little bit of when like the young boys get slapped around in New Japan. <laughs> he was just battering them with his chops and then pulling them in 
with his like with that like kind of submission game that we don't always see from him. So I liked watching Bobby Fish in this. Um, I thought that was where the meat of the match was. These are gonna struggle, and I mean, I include this on takeover now after the last takeover. They're still gonna struggle to hit four stars or whatever you think four stars are. But it was it was good. Yeah, it was good. This it was good. I've got very little to say about the content of the match itself. Bit of back and forth, rugged pro wrestling, really snugly and nicely executed, particularly when Lorcan was in there. Like Lorcan for me is the one who I extracted the most joy from watching. I think he's great. I also think he's bland. I also think <laughs> I don't know. It was just four really accomplished lads doing really accomplished things in a bone dry way. Um I will say that undisputed era winning, despite being a diminished return um will create a sense of drama around the Breezango match. Um have we seen it? You Ian Breezango. Mm, I think uh I think we might have seen it without the titles. Didn't they have mm, a match yeah. set up who was going to beat Imperium? I think that might have been where we saw I, that. That doesn't really matter that much. If they no. build it, I don't care if I've seen it yeah. before. Um because theoretically a nice contrast there where you're gonna see Breezango just get battered. Just get almost like humiliated. And then roll back. So there's a there's a way more interesting and unpredictable match there. So yeah, it was like boring analyst stuff. Two thumbs up for the segment. Yeah, I was more into this match than I anticipated. I thought there were some great spots with like Birch and Lorcan finally getting the hot tag and running wild a bit. Um, Fish having to break up a, a cover after a double team DDT. Um, but then Fish makes Lorcan collide with Birch. Strong hits a jumping knee strike. One, two, three. But I have to agree with what, what Hamlet said. I thought Bobby was in his element here. Definitely not a uh, fish out of water. Next up, it was uh, an update on Finn Balor. <laughs> Um, and, and you know, I knew it when you called him Bobby. I was like, "That's weird." Oh yeah, that's all right. It's not weird at all. <laughs> Every week, baby. Um, yeah, there's some graphic images. It's a shame it's on the NXT podcast where we we'll have a bit of like patter about it because <laughs> no one listens to them. <laughs> um, Finn Balor's had surgery. Um, we still don't really know the fate of the NXT Championship. Regal was quoted as saying, "They're going to give it a few weeks. It's wait and see, basically." And we had a, a great vignette. Uh, profiling Ember Moon. A lot better than a promo last week, Michael Sidgwick. Yeah, don't give her a life, Mike. I mean, you can control this. That is the reason why we got the pre-tape thing. Um, and You should control this. You can and you should control. Like, don't completely expose your performance. That's just a general rule of professional wrestling. They did so last week. They didn't do it again. A lesson learned. Um, Still get rid of Ember's law, though. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, that, that's a given. <laughs> the upshot is... Like a lot of these pre-taped things, they don't. Then you'll never ever get a great promo from this because they are so carefully managed that they just sound bitey. It doesn't feel like even through the TV screen. Touch my hand. You don't feel like you're getting talked to, getting sold on something. You're getting summoned into someone's presence. So you'll never get. Great with pre-taped, but you'll never get humiliating either. So it was the correct way to go, ultimately. Yeah, the the strange thing about the pre-tapes is it's almost like a Bermuda Triangle. Like NXT want to tell you that Ember Moon's on the show this week, but then the wrestlers never feel like they're on the show when they're in these pre-tapes. You watch this and they're like, oh, "Okay, that's our Ember Moon thing. It's it's one of the, it's, she's it's one of these weeks. We'll get another match or we'll get an in-ring thing next week." Good though. Like I I, I, I genuinely I never mind them keeping it simple, and I know that's. Like often quite a huge problem with where some of the storylines just fall flat for people. But this is, again, this is making the most of what Ember Moon is good at, which is highlights of her being absolutely class and not exposing it with a microphone in hand. Economic. Yeah. Ashanti Adonis versus Jake Atlas was next. Uh, worked an entertaining little match uh, that was informed by Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde coming down to ringside because of their issues, of course, with uh, Ashanti Adonis who helped Isaiah Swerve Scott, or attempted to help Isaiah Swerve Scott, uh, in the title match at TakeOver. All this allowed Atlas to catch uh, Adonis in a small package for the one, two, three. Wilder Mendoza attack. Post-match, Atlas makes the save. The uh, two heels are laid out on the stage as Santos Escobar enters. He looks at them, takes off his sunglasses and realises they've got the numbers in match. Come down to the ring, but who should slide in? But Isaiah Swerve Scott carrying three chairs, and they decide, yeah, maybe, maybe not this week. What do you reckon, Hamlet? 
So this isn't wholly illogical, but God, I wish they'd put the belt on Swerve. Like, this is so much better if they just put the title on Swerve Scott. So he lost at TakeOver when he was kind of a bit wah-wah in the build-up, uh, like making excuses a little bit and saying, well, your boys are there and all that sort of thing. And then sure enough, the boys rock up at TakeOver, but he's got a shanty Adonis this time. So it does end up back one-on-one. -on -one, and he still loses. So I appreciate what they're doing here about how, right, Legado, like, have got their advantage. If they've got the numbers advantage, that's keeping the title on Santos Escobar, etc. So you level the playing field, and who knows that better than Swerve? So in he comes to make the save for a shanty that made the save for him, and Jake Atlas, who neither of the baby faces have got a problem with. That's all very logical. But again, like, Swerve's the guy put in front and centre. He's the guy still that you want to see win the title, and he's failed twice. This is so much better if he's if he's the champion trying to steward his division rather than the guy coming out and saying, oh, yeah, like, you've got no chance unless I even the odds. He's kind of a bit of a whinging bastard, isn't he? Yeah. It, <laughs> like, rather, it, rather than a babyface. It, it would have been totally different if he comes out with the belt around his waist. That changes his angle entirely because the rest of it totally fits, totally makes sense. It's a story they've been telling since the stable came together. It's a nice, quite a cute way to bring Atlas and Adonis up at the same time together. So there's lots to like. I just worry about the babyface credibility of Swerve and thus the team that he's kind of the de facto leader of. I also worry about the babyface credibility of Jake Atlas. He's been visually pinned in a mauling with Tommaso Ciampa. That seems to be done. Like, if that was meant to get him over a little bit as well, total failure. He did a fist bump after a fairly tarnished win. Like, which just annoyed us. Like, little decisions like that. Like, don't be proud of that one. Like, just mm. don't do it. Um, yeah, I don't know if the belt would make a difference. I just think there's a genuinely bad approach to this character and storyline. I'm looking forward to the sick band. Genuinely, I think it'll yeah. be like fireworks. Yeah. Like it will be really good, really like just spectacular. Um, but yeah, Swerve Scott. It's like it's not a good babyface move to get two pals against the, the three heels, or it might be if you just took took it took it to begin with, and then decide right, okay, well I know what I need to do now, and then you've got like two new faces as part of this like act and their elevated profile. Just don't be a bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was just a bitch on that on those side by sides, and it's just put me off this character who is like genuinely like at his best. Ugh, watching him wrestle is like genuine, like your your mind gets blown, and I want to mm. see way more of that. The NXT formula as well suggests that if this six man was to happen, like say at Halloween Havoc, which feels relatively likely, oh, you know, yes. set this up next week, get a six man, it's big for that card. NXT formula would have it that I would expect Adonis or um Jake Atlas to get the win. As like the, as a way to use that match to sideline them getting a cruiserweight title match, if Swerve wins, then it's like oh we're doing that again, are we? Like, oh, third time's the charm. Yeah, well, yeah, it probably should have been the second time. Ideally, it could have been the first. You know, like it, I don't think either way, whichever whichever baby, however they book the babyface victory, none of it goes that well for Swerve after the fact. I don't think. Uh, next up was, in my opinion, the best match on the night uh, for NXT. Johnny Gargano, Austin Theory. I, I really enjoyed this one, Sige. Uh Yeah, I didn't. I, oh. Irrespective of... If you try and separate the art from the artist, mm -hmm. I don't think I like uh, Austin Theory as a performer very much. Like, he's obviously skilled. He can obviously lay out a match. There's just... I don't know... It's such a hot take comparison, but he's Randy Orton. Mm. And I've seen literally generations of Randy Orton in, in his own life. <laughs> and I just, I just find his work bland, quite unremarkable, um, too polished. There's a difference between being like a prodigy, if you're like out of the box, exceptional, right? He's out of the box polished, which I think is a very different thing. If you could build the views of a sports entertainer from the ground up, you would get Austin Theory. Yes. I think that's what people are watching right now. Um, that, it's, uh, that's a good point, you know. It really is. It's, it's, because... it's how people's perception of him, isn't it, rather than just the work itself. It's what he aspires to be is wrong. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's no, there shouldn't be any such thing as a prodigious sports entertainer. Like, nah. <laughs> prodigious wrestler, yes. Do you know what I mean? I can't wait to one day be on DVDs where people say, oh, I was just so smooth to get in the ring with. Like, you know, you're going to have an easy night. That, that's my, do you want to win titles? Nah, I just want like Johnny Gargano to say, it was really smooth. It was great. Um, 
15 really easy minutes. Great for the uh, network documentaries. I, I wasn't terribly emotionally invested in this for all the reasons that at this point are totally obvious regarding Austin Theory. Um, I was hugely emotionally invested in Johnny Carcano's promo before this, where he was screaming up at Dexter Lewis, he kidnapped a guy! Like uh, any time that they, you know, they pull at the threads of the characters that don't make any sense. Um, Gargano did that brilliantly here. Um, great facials. Imagine that as a sentence in 2020. Great facials from Johnny Gargano. Like that, like that cocksured confidence that he continues to express in a match against the theory versus what he does when he fights somebody like Damian Priest. Gargano is applying himself to his matches individually. Uh, he's still like. I mean, he's so corny and he's so cheesy and there's a lot to not like about Johnny Gargano, but I think he's the wrestler best at making you forget that he's one of the best in the world. Do you know what I mean? He's, I think for me, he's one, it's so easy to forget that Gargano operating at half speed is probably one of the very, very best at this. Mm. Um, and that is a criticism of some of his more dramatic efforts. So I didn't get a lot out of this, but the few things I did was just because uh, I think he's a magnetic presence at the moment. Yeah, I really enjoyed this match, uh, despite everything. Um, there was a sunset flip counter from Gargano. Then here he, Theory hooks his legs for a false finish. Um, trading strikes. Gargano nails him with a super kick. Lawn dots him into the corner and then hits one final beat for the one, two, three. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez is cutting a promo backstage on Rhea Ripley when Rhea Ripley shows up. So they just brawl. <laughs> uh, and I believe they were booked for Halloween Havoc, aren't they? Yes, which yeah. is nice as well, like kind of tie up that loose end for Rhea Ripley, clean that one up, and then surely that's you kind of like have her being like direct sight on Yosha Rai or whoever's fighting her by then. Yeah, uh, that was that was later on. In fact, I'll just talk about this in one in the same segment. Um, uh, when Regal announced that, that was when Zia Lee uh, uh, approached him about making this grudge match. He'd take it into consideration. So he seemed very insistent here, Sige. See all this again. Sorry, obviously. The... Sorry, go on. The Zia Lee uh, confrontation, the meeting with Regal. They've been building this for quite some time. There is a mystery at the idea of who's pulling the strings, who is she terrified of. This is quite like, it's nice book in this because I want to see who's in the background pulling the strings. I instantly fear this person, might not be a man, I instantly fear this person. Um, I'm not gonna like go on a message board and type in like then there'll never be 10 potential people who are leading Xylee around on whatculture.com because that this is nowhere near interesting enough to generate that kind of discussion, but it is nonetheless, in theory, probably possibly theoretically <laughs> interesting. It's not deft. Oh, I can see your face. Bastard. Teasing it's not, it's when you're diffed. It's a complete misinterpretation of the word. It's not this is, skillful. This, this is where he's going to get angry later on. He's going to get angry later on today because someone's going to tweet how many times he said the D word on the NXT podcast and he's going to forget he said it not actually about anything. <laughs> so I can't even say it. I can't even say that word. It's so annoying. Uh, right. Um, it's just no, I, I, know, I, I physically it. can't. I physically can't. If I say it, it bleeps it. I don't know what happens. <laughs> Look, ready? Three, two, one. See? I mean, oh, that's us. Uh, that's us getting explicit rating this week, so we can't have that's, that's us losing that. That's us losing the balls, shaving money. Not from NXT podcast. <laughs> hey everyone, I've been on the go recently: Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Um, another W for the Garganos next, though. Candice LeRae defeating Shotzi Blackheart in that number one contenders match. And more development with the Indy Hartwell story. I'm all here for this, Hamlet. Yeah, love this. Um, best match of the week for me across both shows. Um, Shotzi Blackheart is good, right? We've seen her in singles matches, and she's building... I think we've destroyed this phrase, but she is legitimately building momentum. You see match after match after match where you get more and more invested and think Shotty Blackheart can go. She knows her character. It doesn't matter that I might not like elements of it. I might laugh at certain elements of what she does in her work, and we'll get to that later. Mm. But like match quality-wise now, we're seeing that Shotty Blackheart is more than somebody that can be carried. And yet, it's particularly great when she's in there with somebody that can just help her along. The Io Shirai match and now this. Shotty Blackheart is showing herself as a vital member of the top of that NXT women's division because there are a lot of people like Candice and like Eo that are going to give her matches like this. I thought this was absolutely tremendous. I really, really appreciated for a change the balance of the risk that Shotty Blackheart was prepared to take with her body versus the reward of, a, of us not coming away going, oh, God, one too far. Just calm it down. Calm it down. You're young. You've got a lot of bumps left to take. Um, love the finish because I really like the Indy Hartwell angle. Like, really appreciated it last week, and now we're getting to see it bloom and blossom a little bit more. It's something that I think Candice Lorraine needed because it was about time the Gargano started winning, but you kind of have to beat these characters unless they're cheating. So having Indy Hartwell there as somebody that can help, and the different, and I sense they're going to be creative, the different creative ways they're going to have her figure into these finish is something I look forward to going forward as well. And another Candice Lorraine Eos Dry match, fantastic. Like the outcome was tremendous too. Don't think Blackheart lost anything by lost him because she's getting over. Like this, here we go. Like this was a, this was a one two three. She got her shoulders pinned, and she's no less over for it. Like they didn't cop out of having a you know like sort of uh, the running ultimately leading to DQ or something. She got beat, and nobody thinks any less of Shotty Blackheart. It's good stuff all the way around for me. Shotty Blackheart's my favorite part of NXT. Um, she has a water and all energy. Um... I like how she strikes just a few bum notes. She feels like that rare, authentic presence bleeding through, <laughs> even when she's like pretty goddamn lame. Like at the end of the show, she's lame. She's energetic. Um, she's completely distinct. She's reckless for the right reasons, if that makes any sense whatsoever. I did think this match took a hell of a lot of time to charge that battery to give her the energy, and it only really heated up for me at the finish. Thought Cody versus Orange Cassidy was the best match of the week, which we maybe could make into a feature. Who knows? Um, on these podcasts, but yeah, I just enjoy watching her, even if I think her previous efforts across the last however many weeks of this push of sorts um, were quite far superior for me. Yeah, Blackheart got to kick out a lot of stuff here. A senton bomb uh, actually landed on double knees from Candice LeRae, kicked out of that. Um, uh, backstabber and a lion salt from Larray Blackheart kicks out again. Blackheart almost uh, gets gets Larray with the sort of modified cattle mutilation, and then she gets a uh, flying fez press as she climbs the ropes, akin to what we saw Johnny Gargano do at Takeover. Cassidy Ray just rolls out of the ring, just rolls rolls out of out of range from Blackheart, who's a, who's atop the turnbuckles. Goes over to Indy Hartwell, who hands Lorraine something. It's a set of brass knucks. Uh, Lorraine nails Blackheart with the knucks when the referee isn't looking. Covers her, celebrates, and then subtly hands them back to Indy Hartwell. I really like that finish, Hamlet. 
Yeah, superb. As I say, I thought the, the Indy Hartwell thing was set up so brilliantly as we kind of like laboured on last week, surprisingly brilliantly, that now when they're off to the races with it, I think you're already invested because you can really appreciate how they got to this point. Mm. Um, we had Drake Maverick and Killian Dane backstage. Uh, Maverick's running past ideas he's got for their team. Dane is not happy. He's even more pissed off when he finds out that they've been booked a match against Imperium later on. And uh, Maverick's trying to sell him on the team of the Furry and the Fury. And Maverick claims he's the one with the Fury, which would make Drake, uh, make Killian even. Yeah. Uh, and then it was the return of Tony Storm. She faced uh, Aaliyah Robertstone, cut, cut a quick promo beforehand. And Tony Storm, I thought, looked, looked great here, Sige. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the, probably the favorite moment of the night. This was because, um, as I said, like the, the shot scene, she's my favorite performer to watch, but I didn't think it was her best match by any stretch. This was very much a star emerging, putting on a star performance, decisive, nothing like too spectacular, just a total showcase. And I think her um, presence exuded through the screen. I just mm. felt like, yeah, I'm banging for whatever she does next. So that's ultimately exactly what you want to get from a segment like this. That finisher, just the right kind of dangerous. The replay, yeah. the replay, NXT are crap with their replays. Like they just, anytime something awesome happens, invariably they will do a replay. And I don't know how that would done. Held up the scrutiny. Love that finish. The rotations, like it's it's all about timing, isn't it? It's got to happen yeah. exactly when it happens, otherwise people are in trouble. And you can't, like, as much as often wrestling companies have tried, I don't think you can really fake that star glow. We talked about it about Finn Balor earlier this year when the show was just, oh God, in like the pits of despair. Finn Balor was this one like sort of shining artifice that rose above the rest. Tony Storm had that when she came out onto the stage. She yeah. felt a major deal and their presentation was excellent. It was really good, like WWE level production, but it still takes the person underneath that production to make you buy it and I totally bought it. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this match. Running Lariat Storm Zero for the victory here for Tony Storm. And I mean, I mean, they've not done it yet, but I do like the fact that Sid just pointed out that they are pushing Rhea Ripley, uh, Ember Moon, and Tony Storm. And it's it's no longer just a straightforward, oh, okay, that's who's gonna face Io Shirai for the title next. Even if Io Shirai is champion because of Candice Lorraine next week. We'll get onto that in due course. Uh, next up it was uh Dane and Drake, Killian Dane, Drake Maverick versus Imperium. Um, in the match, we saw Drake Maverick running wild for a bit uh, after Killing Dane had been shoved into the ring steps. But uh, he came off the top, got caught by uh, Fabian Eichner, who deadlifted him into a brain buster. They hit the doomsday uppercut thing, and uh, Marcel Bartel covers Maverick for the pinfall. Post-match, Ever-Rise come out to just bully Drake Maverick, basically. And then in comes Killing Dane, who takes their head off and announces, nobody hits you but me to Drake Maverick, Michael Sidgwick. You knew that moment was coming in the development of the storyline. They were going to form a story. It's Drake. Um, Drake. But he, Nelson Muntz and Martin. That's what this <laughs> is. Jesus Christ. They've actually, they know what good partner is, even if they're other than Gargano, they can't do it. Um, You knew that beat was coming. In fact, you know every single beat. This is a well-worn um trope in terms of like across all fiction you get the massive big grunty guy and the guy takes pity on you know the beats but because i know them and because they're happening doesn't mean i think they're really cute or worth investing in like it's all right what they're doing here like it's all right week to week to week they seem to have i, I don't get it. drake maverick's a little taste don't like him rubs is the wrong way i agree and yet, this week, more than ever before, I found myself like fighting myself a little bit about how much I'm, I was starting to enjoy it. I quite, I quite like the backstage bit as well. To enjoy it? I know, but like... I like the whistle on their, their theme that we didn't yeah. that they didn't give us initially. The entrance is quite funny. Drake Maverick, right? This is the thing. Like, if he really was sacked for real and worked his way into getting his job back, I kind of get it. Because I feel like as a wrestler, I've like sapped my emotions with him three or four times, and then he's wormed his way back in. He does graft at this stuff. Like, he does. He does like work unbelievably hard to try and get stuff over. Um, this is you know far away from being the first time he's done this sort of thing before. Yeah, 
I, I did find myself coming round to this act a bit more this week. I've, but I completely agree with Cedric. You can see where it's all going to the point where you can almost picture the exact point when they win the tag titles. You're that far ahead in this story. Um, I just, yeah, I like somebody working so hard for this. I, if anything, I think like Dane's underselling it a bit. I don't think he's quite got the measure of like the comedy element of this quite just yet. Um, but Drake Maverick's working very hard. And again, it's a, it's more a case of lots of direction on this brand, even if I do, I'm not necessarily a fan of some of the wrestlers. It's not just all about my taste, even on a podcast where you're asking me my opinion. I like, <laughs> I like to view the show as having a sense of direction, and that's been very apparent in these two for quite a while. Yeah, that, that Larry, he hit both of our eyes with, though, did look really good, I'll admit that. Uh, main event time, it was the NXT North American Championship match. Damian Priest versus Texter Loomis, who's from Recluse, Wyoming, first of all, Michael Sidgwick. I know you want a point to make here. Sorry, yes, I got my hand up, because that's how we do it now. We have to do it. God damn new world. We've missed the worst part of the show, and for me, the worst part of the whole thing, the whole the whole week. I knew they were going to do this because they heavily said on commentary they're going to do this feud. What on earth, tell me, is Tommaso Ciampa versus Velveteen Dream? What on earth is it? Who am I meant to care about? You know, it's oh, I hate this booking, and I cannot tell you how much I hate it. It's literally the booking. And I know the E-Fed thing is invoked for Tony Khan because he's he's the one who can afford to buy it. This is actual E-Fed booking. He's just someone who's really good at this. He's rich enough to be able to do it, and that can be annoying, and I understand that. He just happens to be awesome at actually booking a pro wrestling promotion for the most part. This is E-Fed booking. This is E-Fed booking. This is a 14-year-old kid whose character is like the hardest, and... You know, it's not like a baby face or a heel. You actually just beat anybody up. I just cannot stand this Tommaso Chamber arc. I think it is so piss poor, so piss poor, impossible to invest in. Like, why is it? It's, it's the sort of feud that comes on the same day that you find out that they recycle people's faces in the Thunderdome. Because I don't know how you would get reactions of joy from that NXT CWC wall of Zoom calls. For either, it benefits so much from having no crowd. You've got one person that is trying to rebuild his career as a heel. You've got another that is destined to be a heel forever and ever and ever in the minds of wrestling fans. And they're fighting over the idea that, yeah, as you say, Tommaso Ciampa is just so hard that he hates his inconsequential match being broken up by some guy and he's going to take goddamn revenge for it. Thanks very much. Miserable. Just awful. Like, so lazy as well because. Dream didn't need to come back after the Kushida. Like, you could have just actually afforded Kushida the legacy of being the guy that sent him away packing for a long, long time with that brutal beating that he gave him after the match at TakeOver. And yet they didn't. They thought to themselves, again, to echo something we talk about on the AEW review about um, Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara, no, no, the people want this character. So, God damn it, we're going to give the people what they want. I, I don't see people crying out for this character, nor this angle. It says a lot that I completely forgot about this in my notes. I think that maybe just tried to wipe it from my mind. Uh, yeah, could not care less about this. Um, yeah, let's talk about the main event though. Uh, North American champion Damien Priest versus Dexter Loomis. So, yes, as I said, uh, Hamlet is from Recluse, Wyoming. It's lucky, isn't it? Jesus Christ, man. Like, Dexter Loomis is a stupid name. Dexter Loomis is a stupid character. Stop telling all of us. That will stop giving us well actually comments on Dexter Loomis because he's also not a very good pro wrestler of a 15 minute television main event. This gimmick is just just no selling stuff, that's all it is. Yeah, like as Gargano says, he kidnaps people and he paints. Um, and he might as well add he also stinks because this match just reeked. This is a bad main event. Um, Damien Priest, that youngster, is uh, is quite good in there with the right guy. Um, it didn't need a genius to let you know that Dexter Loomis ain't that right guy, and this was destined to not be that good match in a finish that we could all see coming. Yes, there was at least a pin. It was at least a you know like a result rather than it just going to a DQ. So I, I, I can't really criticise the finish. Um, particularly, I can criticise every single other thing that came before that match because it was drab, and when it wasn't drab, it was bad. Here, before you give the rundown, Willborn, just while it's on the top of my head, here's what I think they're trying to do with... Um... Dexter Loomis, because I've literally had no idea how I'm meant to enjoy or even receive this character or this performer. 
What I think they're trying to do, because they saw that on commentary as if it was a double rotation, mother moonsault, is Dexter Loomis did something athletic and transitioned it into a leg drop. I think the idea is that he's this guy who's very methodical in his movement and he doesn't have to do anything spectacular because pain doesn't really register with him. And oh my God, he's just done something exciting. And how much more does that resonate as exciting because what he's doing is so methodical. But the problem is what he does is so goddamn drab. It's Kozlov, it's so isn't it? Unbelievably drab. Yeah, that's how bad this is. That's how... So I'm, I'm just delighted that I finally found a thing to say about a Dexter Loomis match in terms of I think that's what they think we're going to think when he does something exciting because I so chilling and scary but oh, he's also exciting as well I know he's just drab he's just drab and he's enough of an athlete that he can maybe do one or two things but never ever resonates as this art means more because it's him doing it which i think at last is what they think this is and it it's consistent with the time they broke his ankle with that um flip over the ropes i think that's what they're trying to do here and it isn't working because he's so bland if that's what this is and i think you might be right um, imagine if this was the normal world. He would die on his ass on a takeover. Mm. Mm. Like there would, be, like think. About, can, imagine now if this was where we were headed, and there was a Dexter Loomis match booked for a, ta- a normal takeover, where you expect what you expect from a five match card. He would absolutely die on his ass doing this, and they'd and they'd remember it. And like this is not to drag this comparison I'm going to use, but Mia Yim didn't have the best matches on television, and she got a takeover match and it died on its ass, and she didn't get another. You know, that's, that, that's how it would go for Dexter Lemus, I think. Because as much as I have complaints about this brand, there are very few, like, very few, like, infinitesimal amounts of bad, actively bad takeover matches. And he absolutely, as Hamza points out, would be having them. Don't get it. No. Not popping a rating. Weird stuff, man. Put him in a tag team, I guess, because he's had... Two main events on NXT TV now, and he's absolutely crapped the bed on both of them. Yeah, I was bored making my notes for this. <laughs> um, Loomis counted a razor's edge into a side suplex, then he did the, the thing that, that Sid just alluded to the kip up into a leg drop. Um, uh, he misses a sent on bomb, pre sits him with a lariat, but then Loomis counters with his choke. Um, but Priest manages to get his foot on the bottom rope. No one cares. And then the best thing about NXT shows up to save this whole goddamn thing. Um, the referee is dealing with Damian Priest in the ring. Loomis is on the apron. And then, he shows up. He nails a cave on the apron. And it was completely accidental. But I love the fact he nailed it, hid, and then went, oh, bollocks, my hat's still on the apron. He just reached up. That was great. Down. That was great. He's so good. He is the best thing about NXT right now. And he saved, well, he didn't save this main event because it was crap, but uh, he salvaged somewhat this main event. Um, Priest hits uh, South of Heaven for the one, two, three. Uh, post-matched Priest puts on his little vest thing and hits the reckoning on Cameron Grimes, which I was pissed off about. Uh, but before we get to what happened all after that, uh, Hamlet, your, fin- your thoughts on the greatest thing in NXT uh, showing up? He's such the greatest thing in NXT that I remain steadfast in my belief that he should probably be the next NXT champion. Um, nothing has changed on that front. He felt, that, that, like I say, I like I quite like the finish. I like his effort in it. He knows this character so well. You believe it. Um, you believe his intentions, which is a lot more than I can say for a lot of the characters on this brand. Um, and if anything, I was a little bit sad that this appears to be a direct insertion back into the mid-card for him. Mm. In Finn Balor's injury, which I thought they dealt with quite well on this show. They remain, they've kind of managed to like capture the intrigue of what's going on and yet potentially not strip him if he's going to be good to go in two or three weeks. So I, I, I think they measured that quite right. But in the event that Finn Balor was going to have to surrender the title, Grimes felt like the guy. And this was just a bit of a tell of where they think he's positioned right now. So if anything, I was a little bit disappointed, but not at all in his work or performance of his character. I can't decide what I, what, what I like more, whether he realised his hat was still there and timed it perfectly and in character to save it. And what a thought process that is, by the way, to make it look like he's not done anything. Or whether it was planned and just executed perfectly. Either mm. way, it's fantastic. Uh, anyway, after all that, uh, Damien Priest is setting up the, the ramp when Gargano twats him with a chair. Oh, no, sorry, he doesn't. 
What he does, sorry, no, he does. He hits him with the chair. Then he throws the chair to Priest and kicks it into his face. Uh, Candice Ray comes out with her husband to celebrate with him. William Regal shows up. He announces that it is going to be Gargano versus Priest uh, for the NXT North American Championship at Halloween Havoc. As well as that, Candice Ray, yes, as we uh, talked about earlier, will face Io Shirai for the uh, NXT Women's Championship. And to tell us more about it... <clears throat> William Regal threw to Shotzi Blackheart, who said, <clears throat> Johnny, Candice, both of your matches, really big pauses in here for no reason, I thought, will be determined with <laughs> spin the wheel Make a deal. <laughs> oh, God, it was so cringeworthy, this. Oh, it was so bad. Actively terrible, almost <laughs> to the point where I felt sorry for her. But there's layers to how terrible this was. Right. She was cutting a promo in the style of like a B-movie, like villainess who knows it's camp and who plays it as hammy as possible to get over the idea that it's terrible. And she was still incredibly terrible at it. This was just <laughs> layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of bad. And again, system, like systemic issues with all things WWE. Just let these goddamn people talk like human beings in the manner that they would wish to talk because the, the contrast between this show and AEW Dynamite, particularly in terms of the promos, is rendering it, if not unwatchable, then almost a joke, particularly the last two weeks. It's it's 16 words, if you don't count them. Ha, ha, ha. If you don't count that, it's 16 words. And I've just realised what it reminded me of. Is it? I feel like it's like the second Mortal Kombat movie where the woman goes, mother. And she goes, too bad you, you will die. Will <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. But also the fact they've brought back, a, I mean, it's kind of been lost in all this, a classic stipulation. It's a classic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is. I think it's the thing, right? Um, when we talked first about them bringing back the Halloween Havoc, theme it's great because halloween themed shows are fun nxt needs more fun so having halloween stuff and having a few pumpkins out is great but then became the questions yeah so what are halloween havoc themed things are we going to do and then you look back through and you're like oh christ um an electric chair in the middle of a cage with a fatal lever uh spin the wheel make the deal where sting and jake roberts had laser beams coming out their eyes it's not like the richest history of stipulations where you want to go back and you're like i'd love them to do it in halloween havoc 92 however what this does play into is the camp quality of Halloween Havoc. Like, I'm really, really excited for this show. I'm buzzed for it because it just, just feels like NXT being quite un-NXT with its characters for the night. And this lot need it. The Capital Wrestling Centre certainly needs it. Um, and that's, I think, what Toxie Blackheart was trying to get over here in this otherwise, like, fatally embarrassing promo. By that, I mean, I nearly died of embarrassment watching her cut it. I nearly died watching you having to cut your version of it. Like, <laughs> so embarrassing. And it's funny, you know, Cedric mentions about the scripting. He's right. And yet I don't believe the real Chelsea Blackheart would have done much different with this. No. That's why <laughs> you know, I like it, you know. That's I, why well, I like it. it. It's sort of play like some of the stuff we were saying earlier on the show. It, it felt broadly in character. But that's the bit of the character that I will never be able to fully back. But loads of people do. And there's lots about her. There's so much about her. She's her own little fireworks factory. And for that, you're kind of like, yeah, oh, all right, that's just how Chelsea Blackheart would do this. But spin the wheel, make the deal, as silly as it was once upon a time, because they loaded up a wheel with some of the most violent matches imaginable, and it landed on Cole Miner's glove, which was a, a hard glove on a pole, basically, between Jake Roberts and Sting. Um, is good. Is a great addition. Looked amazing. The visual was absolutely stunning. That wheel on the screen with flames around it, Shotty Blackheart cast as she is in the graphic, as she is here, perfectly as the host. The branding superb. I think all of this is absolutely tremendous. Yes, maybe the most embarrassing promo of the year. It's one of those, right, where I will let Shotty Blackheart off, and I enjoy the fact that this promo happened because 
I've spent so many times trying to editorialize this decline of NXT, and Minoru Suzuki has the absolute best take and quote on it of all time. In hyping his match with John Moxley to put him over, he said, in inevitably Minoru Suzuki style, I like him because he can't do sh-. And he said, everyone else in that, that comes out of that performance center system, not that Moxley did, but he was talking just broadly about why he likes Moxley. Enters that system, the teachers try and find out the flaws and round them out, and what you end up with is a perfectly grey lump of boring trash. <laughs> Not my words, those are Minoru Suzuki's words. An incredibly acute assessment of everything wrong with that system. Shotzi Blackheart is anything but, anything but a perfectly grey, lumpy, boring bit of trash. And thrillingly for me, I think they know that, and they're not trying to do anything with her. They're just trying to present her as is, which is really good, really worthwhile, really crucial. So I will forgive this promo because it's just Shotzi Blackheart, and it's no one else would have done that. For good reasons, but still, nobody else would have done that. She's like a tank. She doesn't give it. They're like the two words. <laughs> but she said as well before I match. Just class when she's dafty. Love it. <laughs> oh god, that promo though. I watched I watched it on double speed initially and uh and struggled to get through it then. Then subsequently I say make my notes, write down 16 words, ha ha ha, ow, ow, ow. It, <clears> you know, it was it was a it was a tough, it was a tough, tough watch. Um uh, let's conclude <laughs> by deciding who so part rich of you there. <laughs> Let's yeah. conclude by deciding who won the Wednesday night. Well, Hamlet, who won it for you? NXT. I cannot believe it. I just thought it was more fun. Uh, Sage? AEW Dynamite. Better show. I was expecting more from it. But the high points are still really high. Um, um, it's not my decision to make this week. I'm going to go to the uh, Twitter vote. But it does kind of reflect how I feel. 60-40 uh, in favour of AEW Dynamite. Um uh, uh, a show that didn't live up to my expectations from AEW, a show that exceeded my expectations from WWE, and yet still Dynamite wins. Uh, I certainly could never give the Wednesday Night War to a show that featured Dexter Loomis in the main event. Um, look, it wasn't a spectacular anniversary show for Dynamite, but uh, it was certainly, in my opinion, better than this week's episode of NXT. But if you want to know our thoughts uh, about Dynamite, you can check that podcast out right now by searching for What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from. But do let us know your thoughts on NXT and Dynamite on Twitter at What Culture WWE. Watch there, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit, follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling for daily wrestling podcasts, of course. But for now, this has been the Wednesday Night War review of NXT. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.